Let's go ahead and turn together to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And uh, for those of you that have been working, walking uh, through Matthew with us, you know that, that we have been in this book for some time now. We've seen all these various responses to Jesus. And then in addition to the responses to Jesus, negative and positive, what we saw over the last couple of weeks has been honestly so encouraging uh, to my own soul as, uh, as we have seen that Jesus is our helper. Uh, it's so funny how God often puts me through the various things that I'm about to preach on. And I've had a couple storms in my life. And last week we saw that Jesus is our helper, our present help in the midst of, of storms. Now today we're taking a turn in the book. Today we're entering into this huge confrontation that Jesus has with the religious leaders. And, uh, uh, and it's something that we're going to explore, look at, and then recognize how this might apply to our own lives, our own expressions of worship, our own faith. You know, we sang the song, Genuine Love. The question is, do we have <clears throat> a genuine love for God and for others? So let's, let's go ahead and read together. We're going to read... Uh, about 23 verses today. We're going to start with verse 34 of chapter 14, and we are going to read through chapter 15 and verse 20. Follow along in your Bible. Verse 34, And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God has commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made the word of God void. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, 
slander, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to this text. We need your help this morning. There's a lot of cultural and contextual issues going on here, but I believe that there is a huge, huge truth for each one of us. Help us. It's in Jesus' name we, we pray. Amen. I wonder if you would agree with this statement. Things aren't always as they appear on the wrapper. True or false? Like, I'll give you a couple examples since you asked. Thank you. Oh, you name it. All right, let me give you an example. Uh, bag of Oreo, bag of Oreo, uh, mini Oreos. All right? I bought a bag of mini Oreos. And on, on the wrapper, there's a picture of these little guys, and they were perfect little constructed, you know, two little chocolate cookies sandwiching a nice robust layer of white cream. And I opened the bag up, and I pull out one of these cookies, and it looked like it was, had been beat up by a UFC fighter. <laughs> right? It was a sad-looking cookie. And I took a picture of it and, uh, you know, compared it, comparing it to what was on the wrapper, and I meant to Instagram it, and I forgot. Well, that's that story. I've got another analogy for you. Old Bay chips, my favorite chip. Bought a bag. Open up the bag of chips. You know, you know exactly what I, where I'm going with this, don't you? Open up a bag of chips, and about a quarter of the bag is filled. That's it. Three quarters of the bag is pure air. And uh, the chip, you pull one out, it does not look like the wrapper. They're all cracked and crushed. But since they have Old Bay on them, they still taste just fine. But things, things are, are not always as they appear on the wrapper. Meaning, things on the inside don't always reflect what is shown on the outside. U.S. News and World Report actually did a whole study on this, and they showed that a lot of things that you buy are not as they appear in the wrapper. You don't get as much as you thought you were going to get. What's shown on the outside, you open it up, and what you discover is that there's nothing there. Friends, let that rebuke never apply to our church. Let that rebuke never apply to your Christian life. We sing the song, Genuine Love, and we can sing it, but are you harboring racism or hatred in your own heart toward other individuals? You put your money in the offering box, and then you're hoarding the rest with greed. You eat the Lord's Supper, and you, with your hands you, you touch the bread, and you put the bread into your mouth. And with those same hands, you get on a computer and access pornography websites. May not uh, we ever embrace a Sunday-only churchianity. Churchianity. 
where we come to church every Sunday, we even give our tithes, yet the rest of our life looks like anybody else in the world. There's nothing distinct about us. There's, we're not salt and light in the world. And it's because the reality is we are not living lives of genuine repentance and faith. It looks like that when we do our worship practices, when we sing a song, when we pray, when we praise God, when we listen, when we interact, we put our best foot forward. Mark Twain said something like, Every, uh, everybody's like the moon. There's always a dark side that nobody can see. How often that describes us in our worship practices. Things don't always appear on the inside as they do on the outside. Now, I don't even need to remind you of this story of Israel. This has been the story of Israel. So you, some of you might know Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, where God is coming down in condemnation on northern Israel because northern Israel is taking advantage of the poor, social oppression, arrogance, and pride in their own heart. Yet, they're coming to church every Sunday, giving their tithe, going through the, singing the song, you know, in their, in their day, they're giving the sacrifices, they're, they're coming and lifting up holy hands, they're going through their worship practices, and they think that just simply because they're doing these external practices that they are okay with God. And this is exactly what God says to northern Israel during that time in verse 26 of Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, let me back up. I didn't write it down. It's Amos chapter 5. I didn't even write it down. Amos chapter 5, verse 6. Somebody turn there and read that for me. And while you turn there, Amos chapter 5, verse 6. I think that's right. If I'm wrong, we'll Google it and we'll find it. As God is, is looking at, the, uh, uh, at this people who are worshiping him with their mouth, with their external being, what God is seeing is their heart. Does anybody have it? Amos chapter 6, verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 6. Try verse 21. <laughs> that's, it, that's it. Keep going. Thank you. I despise your worship feasts. I hate your assemblies. I will not accept your offerings, your grain offerings. I will not even look upon it. He says, the noise from your songs. You think you are playing so skillfully and you think your voice is so pretty and God says it sounds like noise to me. I won't even listen to the melody of your hearts. Why is God so disgusted with their worship? It's because they're hypocrites. It doesn't reflect what's going on on the inside. This is what Ezekiel says. This is what I was going to read to, read to you earlier. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a, a, a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What they need are not more external practices. What they need is a new heart. They need to be changed from the inside out. What I want to talk to you for a few minutes here is on this theme, religion that kills. Everybody say that together. Religion that kills. 
The context here is in chapter 14, verse 34 and 30 through 36. We see the original setting of the story. What's happening is sort of the inevitable outcome around Jesus' ministry, that as he's healing, all of these people from all over the land are bringing their sick loved ones and sick friends to Jesus so that he might heal them. And it says that all who get around Jesus and all who even touch the, the fringe of his garment are being healed. Now, there's something that Matthew is uniquely setting up for us here that we don't see in our culture today. In the Jewish culture, if you are touched by a sick person, what did that mean? You are what? Defiled. You're unclean. This is the way that they were understanding life to be. Unclean isn't a word that we use today, but it it was a ceremonial word, not physical uncleanliness, but ceremonially. We might use the word ungodly or unspiritual today. If you're touched by by a sick person, you are ceremonially now unclean in their understanding. Now, Jesus is being touched by a few sick people, isn't he? Like he has sick hands all over him. The Pharisees would go to the other side of the street to get away from these people. These people are coming up to Jesus and they're grabbing onto his garments, his clothing. And of course, his 12 disciples are walking with him through the crowds and, and they would have seen Jesus and his 12 as this, this really dirty bunch of people. This unclean people. And so this sets the stage for us as these religious leaders look at Jesus and they say, you've got a problem. Now what the the problem is, is that the religious leaders, the a.k.a. the Pharisees, everybody say Pharisees. Those are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They had adopted a religion that kills Their religion that kills was a religion that would focus on the external, the practices, but would ignore the dirty heart. And they were, best sense of the word, hypocrites. Now, we often use the word hypocrite in our culture today for everything. You get mad at somebody and they're a hypocrite. Somebody didn't give you what you thought they should give you, they're a hypocrite, right? The word hypocrite is a, is a big word that we need to be very careful with. Let me, this is just a modern-day dictionary definition of hypocrite, and I think it works well for us. Hypocrite is defined as a person who puts on false appearance of virtue. Hypocrite is defined as a person who claims and pretends certain beliefs about what is right, but behaves in, very, uh, in the very way that disagrees with their beliefs. A hypocrite is someone who acts in contradiction to their stated belief. Everybody understand what the word hypocrite means now? The Pharisees, Jesus calls them hypocrites. It's the first time Jesus has applied this word to the Pharisees. It means in the original context, actor. He calls them actors. He calls them hypocrites. You are a bunch of hypocrites. In order to know who Jesus is, we need to know something about who the hypocrite is. So let's take some time and let's explore this together. Who is the hypocrite? And what is the problem with the hypocrite? You guys ready? Number one, the hypocrite discounts the scriptures. The hypocrite discounts the scriptures. In other words, the hypocrite ignores God's word. There was an arrogant deacon 
who was leading a Sunday school class of boys. An old pastor told this story. Leading a Sunday school class of boys, and, and he, was, he was talking about holiness. And you know, remember, he's an arrogant kind of guy, all right? And so he looks at these boys, and he says, why do you think it is that people think I'm a Christian? And one of the boys said, raised his hand, and he said, maybe it's because they don't know you. Mm. Hypocrite. You see, a hypocrite is somebody who ignores God's word. Arrogant, puffed up, they look right on the outside. But they're not actually following in obedience to God's word. They're twisting God's word for their own purposes, and they're completely ignoring other aspects of God's word. They discount the scriptures. Let's, let's look at it in the, in, the, in the text here. First, we see that the hypocrites add to the scriptures. In verse 2, we see this accusation against Jesus of his disciples. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, why do your disciples not wash their hands before eating? Wash their hands before eating? Where did that come from? We go from healing sick people to this accusation that the Pharisees are not washing their hands before they eat. Now, the issue was not that the Pharisees were concerned about their health. They had no clue about germs back then. This wasn't a health issue. This was a spiritual issue. What was going on with hand washing then? It was simply this. They had developed this, what was, what's called a tradition of the elders. Do you guys see that? The tradition of the elders in verse 2? That's a thing, all right? We could capitalize that. That's, a, that's not just simply saying you're older people's traditions. That's a thing called the tradition of the elders. This elaborate system that they had developed. They took a principle that they saw in God's word, and they would create all of these, all of these additional rules so that we might be, uh, obey that principle. Let me, let me give you the, uh, the issue at hand here. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 11 says, that if you have a discharge and your hands touch the discharge, you must now wash your hands in order to be ceremoni- ceremonially clean. In Ezekiel, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 30, verse 21, we see that the priests were to wash their hands ceremonially, ceremonially before performing their, their, their works. Now, there's nothing in God's word that says anything about washing your hands before you eat. The tradition of the elders, all these additional rules that were added, were, it was based on this, this sort of, and I'm afraid that we're going to break some of these other things. And so the, their mentality was simply this. The priests have to wash their hands before they perform the sacrifices. And you've got to wash your hands before you eat because since someone touched you and now you're dirty, If your hands touch food, your hands now make that food ceremonially unclean. That food goes into your body and it defiles your whole body and now your entire body is ceremonially unclean. And now if you touch a priest, the priest is now unclean. And so then therefore, to be safe, everybody must ceremonially wash your hands before you eat. That was their mentality. That was the law. That was the rules. Jesus' disciples weren't following the man-made traditions. Why do they not do this? They're adding to Scripture here. Do you guys remember the whole above the line, below the line? We talked about this some uh, months ago. Do you remember this? I'll have to show it to you again. 
I need some help. Andrea, go down there and hold, hold a line for me. Hold this for me. Uh, you're going to learn the lesson right now. All right, here's a line, everybody. Do you see this line? The idea is, is that we want to be on the line with biblical interpretation. We want to, like, if the Bible says it, we want to do it, right? We want to believe it. We want to be on the line. Above the line is when we add to Scripture. Now, we're saying something that, that the Bible doesn't even say. We're, we're, at, we're putting, we're putting uh, requirements on God's people that the Bible doesn't put on God's people, which means that, like, even as a pastor and an elder, my only authority is when I'm on the line. If I start going above the line, I have no authority in your life. You should fast every Tuesday and Thursday. I can't say that because that's above the line. I only have authority when I'm on the line. Below the line is when we take away from Scripture. You don't need to get married, just move in together. That's below the line. You see what I'm saying? So let me ask you this. Are the Pharisees being above the line or below the line right now? They're being above the line, right? Hold that thought. All right, you can. We're good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Everybody give Andrea. What a wonderful assistant she is. Thank you, Veda. Let's go on because I want to show you a couple more things with this whole above-the-line, below-the-line issue. So Jesus responds to them in verse 3. I I love his response. Look at it. He answers them, okay, so why do you break the commandments of God? So they're coming at Jesus. Why do you break the traditions of man? Jesus says, why do you break the commandments of God? Let's talk about that. You want to talk about this? Let's talk about that. And so Jesus exposes here a huge discrepancy in their theology. We see this in verse 4. He says, God's commanded, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. Where's that from? Ten commandments. Which commandment is it? Exactly. The fifth. Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother. God is pretty clear about that, right? You might know that my dad shows up on a day that I'm talking about honor your father and your mother. I think he's, he's just been watching the text like, okay, I think he's going to talk about this passage now. I'm going to go visit him. All right. But then he says, so the, God's clearly commanded this, and God even says whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. This is in chapter 21 of Exodus. For ex- extreme cases of dishonoring your parents, you are going to die. But you say, verse 5, if anybody tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So you have made, so, so for the sake of your traditions, you have made the word of God void. What's going on here? Again, we need to know some cultural things. They, they, there was this, this rule, this law that they had developed, which said that you can consecrate anything to God. So let's just pretend that I have money in my wallet. And let's say that, uh, that uh, my friend Paul Rotman is coming to me, and I know Paul is always asking, asking me for a dollar, right? Every time I talk to Paul, Joel, can I have a dollar, right? And um, so Paul's coming to me, and I got one dollar bill in my wallet, and I know that Paul's going to ask me for a dollar, and I say, you know what? Consecrated to God. I just consecrate it just like that. And then Paul comes and he says, 
hey, Joel, could I have a dollar? I'm like, oh, man, like I have one, but it's, con- it's been consecrated to God. And now Paul isn't allowed to say anything about that. He's like, oh, okay. Can't take what's been given to God. Now, here was an additional law that they, that they added. You can unconsecrate. So he's walking away, unconsecrated. <laughs> Seriously. Wait, we laugh at it? This was reality. All right? So you see your poor mother walking up the street. You know that she's going to ask you to, for $250 for the BG&E bill. And you've got it, but you consecrate it to God. And she asks you for the money. You say, sorry. And she said, but didn't you get a $5,000 tax return? Yeah. It's all been consecrated. All of it? Yeah. It's all been consecrated to God. Sorry. And then she walks away. You get back on your bank account. Unconsecrated. <laughs> serious. That was happening. And so Jesus is confronting this. Like, for the sake of your stupid traditions, you're actually dishonoring your parents. Now let me ask you this question. All right, remember the, the line. Are the Pharisees being above the line or below the line here? Below the line. Brian, why do you say below the line? They're dishonoring their parents, which puts them below the line. And even with that analogy, they're still above the line because they have these additional rules that you must follow. Like, she has to follow these rules. I can't beg you. Do you see what's happening here? It's complete. These aren't people that value the word of God. These aren't people. These aren't like the the people that are like, man, that guy is just so strong in his faith, and I know he's got some above-the-line rules. I know he's got some additional rules. No, what you'll find out with these kinds of people is that they're going above the line and they're going below the line. There are aspects about their theology and about their life that are way below the line. They are disobeying God in a number of ways and disregarding it so that they can keep their above-the-line traditions. This is hugely problematic. They are ignoring God's word. They are discounting the scriptures. And so Jesus says to, in verse 6, he says, you've made the word of God void. Which void means to deprive of force. Like, the Word of God has the power to save you. The power unto salvation. There is a lot of authority in here. And when we submit to the authority, there is force in our life and we change. And when we do this above the line, below the line stuff, you have emptied it of its force. There's no power left in God's word. You're you're unable to change because there's nothing there for you. And so we see in verses 8 and 9, Jesus says, you hypocrites, he he applies that word to them. He says, you know, Isaiah prophesied well of you. Isaiah, a thousand years before, roughly, 600, 700 years before prophesy well of you. This people, he says, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of God. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The external, the wrapper looks good, honoring to God, but your heart is dirty and dark, and your heart is far from God. 
Guys, this applies to all kinds of people. This applies to the legalists who add to God's word and say you must do these things in order to be saved. This applies to the liberal. This applies to the conservative. This applies to the doctrinal watchdog, the guy who's always looking for false doctrine in every, in every corner and, and is preserving all the right doctrine, yet his heart is so far from God. This applies to the religious traditions that are all about the traditions that require you to go through a hundred hoops in order to take the Lord's Supper, yet they completely ignore the heart. Make God's word void. Secondly, not only do they discount the scriptures, but hypocrites also devour sheep. They devour the sheep. Pop quiz for you history, church history buffs. If you've taken our church history class, you would know this. Who is Arius? Arius. A heretic. What was his heresy? We're heading in the right direction. Say it again. No, you got it. You got it. You're heading in the right Montreal the theologian. Arius was a guy who denied that Jesus was God. He denied that Jesus was God. He, he said, no, Jesus was the first of created beings, but he wasn't God. And uh, was, he, he led so many people astray, denying that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, Parker Williamson, a historian, said this about Arius. He said, Arius... He, he was a bright, energetic, energetic, attractive fellow, the kind of citizen whom any Rotary Club would welcome, which I don't know anything about Rotary Clubs, but I guess they're a big deal. Singing sea chanties in dockside pubs and teaching Bible stories to the Wednesday night faithful, this was an immensely popular man. His story reminds us, he says, that heresy does not bludgeon us into belief. We are seduced. What he's saying is, is that Arius, this heretic, he was a guy that you would love to be around. He was persuasive. He was attractive. Man, I just want to hang out with that guy. And what, he, what Williamson is saying is that when we fall into heresy, we're denying God's word. We're not blood, it does, it's not like it's pounded into us. We're seduced into it. We're seduced by these by these. Pharisees by these people who are so persuasive. Yet look what Jesus says about them as they devour sheep in verse 12. First, the disciples come to Jesus and, and they say, hey, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? Which don't you love these guys? These are the guys who come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, I think you offended them. They're not happy right now. And Jesus is like, I don't care. Look at his response. 
Jesus says in verse, 10, uh, verse 13, he says, look, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Do you guys remember the whole weeds analogy that Jesus gave himself? He says that the devil has planted some seeds, and these are weeds, and God is going to come and pull up the weeds. He's calling these Pharisees the weeds. I don't care that they're offended that I call them fair, uh, hypocrites. Jesus is saying they're weeds. And I don't think he's trying to be mean. I think he's, his heart's breaking over this reality. They're going to be plucked up. And his heart, I think, would further break as he goes on and he says if the, they're, that they're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Let me ask the kids in the room. Kids, do you guys know the, sto- uh, the, the game Follow the Leader? We've talked about this before. Follow the Leader? Kids, imagine if you're playing Follow the Leader, all right, and Ashton is the leader, and you put on, this is my uh, niece, by the way, Ashton puts on a blindfold, all right, and then the other Ashton, right back there, he's following. He's in the line, following. If you, kids, if you play Follow the Leader with a blindfold, is that a safe thing to do? Absolutely not. You're going to walk right out into the street or down the stairs. This is Jesus' analogy. He says, you've got blind guides leading blind people. And if the blind lead the blind, they both will fall into a pit. They will devour the sheep. Look, Romans 1 says that we have hearts that are far from God. We have hearts that turn away from God, that wander from God. And in in the pastoral epistles, we see that these people with far out distant hearts will choose up for them teachers that will tickle their ears, blind guides that will make them feel okay during this day and age. But if this continues, they are all going to fall into a pit. You know, sometimes we pit doctrinal purity and relationships against each other. Sometimes we'll say, oh, those are like the doctrinally pure people, and those are the people that care about relationships. Friends, these two things are not pitted against one another. If you care about a relationship, you'll care about what that relationship believes and understands about God and who Jesus is and what it means to live a life of repentance and faith. It is good and it is right to warn a friend who is heading in the wrong direction. It is good and it is right to warn a friend who is sitting under a leader that is leading them in the wrong direction. Jesus' heart broke over this reality. May our hearts break over the same. Thirdly, we see that they also disregard the soul. They look at the outside and they disregard the soul. A friend of mine, his name is Nate. He's a pastor of Forest Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I was hanging out with him first time I ever met him. We were walking together and he said, Joel, how is your soul? And I was like, oh. <laughs> I felt like he was looking right through me, you know, and I wanted to cry. Like, oh my goodness. It's so <laughs> how is your soul? Are you focusing on your soul? How is that? I don't mean how is your devotional life or how is your church attendance or how is, how is your soul? The hypocrites disregard the soul. Jesus says in verse 11, it's not the outside in that's the problem. 
It's not eating the stuff that, that defiles you. It's, uh, in verse 17, he says that that stuff that you eat, it just goes, not to be graphic, but it goes right through and you expel it. That's what Jesus says. Verse 19, he says, it's the heart that's the issue. It's, your, it's, an, it's not an outside-in problem. It's an inside-out problem. From the heart, he says, come evil thoughts. Now, evil thoughts... That's the foundation. And from evil thoughts come all of these things. Murder, false witness, slander, theft, sexual immorality, adultery. Friends, Baltimore has hundreds of shootings. Baltimore has thousands of burglaries and, uh, and, and thefts. Baltimore has hundreds and thousands of broken marriages. Baltimore has sex slavery. I, I heard of a uh, a, a young girl who was sold into sex slavery to the landlord so that the mother could pay for rent. This was happening in our city. Like all of these things are in our city. Now, what is the issue? Is it, the, uh, is it external? So some people will just simply focus on the outside. Let's bring in more jobs and let's bring in more education. Let's bring in more money. Now, that's, there's a place for that. This is why we're starting our One Hope ministry to bring in more jobs and bring in more money into the homes. I mean, there's a place for that. But is that the issue? No. Because there's rich communities that are just as perverted. No, it's not an outside-in issue, friends. It's an inside-out issue. What do we need? Ezekiel 36, 26 says that we need what? We need a new heart. And God said, I will put a new heart in you. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you can't say we need regeneration. We need to be born again. We need to be changed from the, not from the outside in, but we need to be changed from the inside out. No, we don't need to just simply change the external. Others will say, oh, I just need to get out of Baltimore. No, you don't need to get out of Baltimore. You need a new heart. Oh, if I was just married, I would be okay. Then I would have no problems. Then my sexual immorality issues would go away. Then my loneliness would go away if I was just married. Or if I just had a new job, I would, I would do better in life. Or if I just had better friends. You know, I've heard so many pastors tell their congregants to drop their negative friends. I'm tired of hearing pastors say that. Drop your negative friends, as if your negative friends are the problem. No, it's your negative heart that's the problem. You're to be salt and light to your negative friends, not drop them. You're to be renewed from the inside, changed, born again. You don't need a new spouse. You need a new heart. Good news. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. For those who are in Christ, we are a new creation. And we can change. For 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self the external, the wrapper. This is what the Bible says about the wrapper. Though the wrapper is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. 
Your wrapper's falling apart. Stop focusing on it. Focus on your heart. Focus on your dirty heart. Ask God, change me. Renew me. Give me a new heart. Listen, Jesus was the one true worshiper of God. Jesus is the only one who ever existed in which every prayer was prayed with heartfelt reverence to the Father. Jesus never lifted his hands in worship without also lifting his heart to the Father. Jesus never sang a song of praise to God that he didn't mean in his heart. Yeah, Mark Twain said that we're all like the moon. We all have a dark side. All of us, except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one who had no dark side. Friends, Jesus took on the punishment that was ours. The wrath that was coming down on northern Israel for their false worship. That wrath is placed on the Jesus Christ. The wrath that's coming on us for our hypocrisy, for our disregarding the scriptures, for our devouring of other sheep, counseling people in the wrong direction, making light of his word, adding to scripture and subtracting from scripture. All of that was placed on the Christ on the cross, and he died on the cross there for you and for me. He died for hypocrites. He died for all of us. For those of us who had the dark side that was placed on him. And he rose from the dead. Now, how is it that we have a new heart? Oh, we can only have a new heart if we die. So we die with Christ. And we are raised with him. And as we are raised to him in new life, that is what the Bible calls regeneration, renewal, new birth, a new heart. It's the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I have put a new heart in you and a new spirit in you. I have removed the heart of stone and I have given you the heart of flesh. We need to know who who the hypocrite is so that we can know who Christ is. He stands in such beautiful contrast so that we as hypocrites might fall on our knees before him, the pure one, and embrace him. Yes, the people of Amos' day were hypocrites. Yes, the Pharisees were hypocrites. Yes, the inside did not look like the outside. What they were portraying externally did not reflect internal realities. Friends, may this rebuke never apply to the garden church. May this rebuke never apply to your Christian walk. But may us, all of us, fall on our knees and live lives of repentance, of faith, which is characteristic of true followers of Jesus Christ. And then as we come together to worship as God's word has has instructed us, may it be pure, right, holy, from a broken, contrite heart, recognizing that, yes, we are sinners, and we have a wonderful Savior in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together and look into your word and to Matthew. We ask that you would help us to not just simply go from here with more knowledge in our head, but that we would be changed, that, that the Holy Spirit would 
continue to do a new work in us. We thank you for the fact that you have given all who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ a new heart. And as the scriptures say that we are being renewed day by day, we ask that you will never stop. For your glory, renew us today. Renew us tomorrow. Renew us on Tuesday. Renew us on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and as we come back together next Sunday. May we celebrate the renewal that we have experienced and seen. It is in Jesus' name everyone said, amen.